Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. You know, you want money only because you want to pay the bills, you want to send the children to school, you want to right. pay up your mortgage. But beyond that, you shouldn't think about money. There's no purpose. That's my man Jack Sim, founder of the World Toilet Organization. And like many adults on the show, Jack reached a certain level of success and then asked himself, when does a person die? And it's 80. That means I've already spent 14,600 days and I've got only another 14,600 days more before I die. Real problems, career journeys, and leadership lessons. You're listening to The Real Leaders Podcast to learn what motivates people beyond their chosen careers. So I think first, so I would say the first thing people you know, need to understand bring people is that it's all of us. I was in my 20s, out of college. But I used to be a corporate guy. Uh, Celebrate your rejection. Um, on a large scale, people weren't necessarily calling themselves social entrepreneurs. I am a social entrepreneur. These are their stories. This is the Real Leaders Podcast. Testing one, testing two. Welcome everyone to episode 23 of the Relators Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Edwards. Today, I want everyone to appreciate one thing in your home that we all take for granted, your toilet. Founded in 2001, the World Toilet Organization is a global nonprofit committed to improving toilet sanitation and conditions worldwide. Jack and I met at a conference back in 2018 to discuss what motivated him to flush down his former career. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the real Jack Sim. Here we go, live in three, two, one. Live here from the business call to action with Jack Sim. Jack, mm-hmm. how are you doing today? Good. Just delivered the speech. You, you didn't just deliver the speech. You brought the house down, man. <laughs> you brought it down. Really? Flushed it down with the World Toilet Organization, almost. <laughs> so, Jack, I got to ask you. What I want the viewers to hear kind of what you just spoke about. So, all I'm going to ask you is, what is your life's purpose and why is it that way? So, alive is only about 80 years, and I've already lived up to 61 now. So, every day I have a countdown, and I calculate how many days left till my 80th birthday. Today is 6,731 days before I die, which means it's like uh, less than uh, 1,000 weeks. Mm. And so, if you're very sure that you're going to die, like everybody should know that they're going to die, then you want to live a life meaningfully, you want to have a purpose, and on the last day, just before you go, you want to say to yourself, it was useful, I did something, 
and you go with a smile, you know. Right. Uh, otherwise, if you don't calculate death and budget it, you might just uh, keep on accumulating wealth and waste your time and do a lot of useless things, and then suddenly you die and nothing happened. I mean, it's, it's a realistic approach. I mean, everyone will die eventually. Mm. I mean, there's no way around it, at least as far as we know right now. Yeah. Um, so, but where did this come from? I guess being 23 years old, it's like, now nah, I'm not really thinking about death right now, but having some friends that have passed away early, it does make you think about it. Yeah. And it makes you think about, well, hey, what am I really doing with my life? But was it, what was the moment that really impacted you? When did you start to really recognize that I need to do something purposeful with my life? So that was when I was 40. So I made some money doing business. I started 16 businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was 24, I didn't qualify to go to university. So I saved a lot of years uh, not going to study. Mm-hmm. And I started businesses and made some money. So when I was 40, uh, a lot of my friends go on to make some more money, but mm. I ask myself, when does a person die? Mm. And it's 80. That means I've already spent 14,600 days, and I've got only another 14,600 days more before I die. And say, mm, you know, you want money only because you want to pay the bills, you want to send the children to school, you want to right. pay up your mortgage. But beyond that, you shouldn't think about money. There's no purpose. Right. And then what is the real thing I'm spending every day is the minutes and the time and the hours. And if you don't treasure the time, you don't live in perspective. So mm. I start to do the countdown and I start to ask myself, what is it that the world neglected uh, and need to be solved and I thought toilets, you know, toilets is so disgusting, (laughs) embarrassing, and people don't want to talk about it. So I started the World Toilet Organization. And uh, 13 years later, our founding day, 19th of November, became adopted by the UN General Assembly Mm. unanimously, all 193 (laughs) countries. They call it the UN World Toilet Day. UN World Toilet Day. And what day is that? 19th of November. November 19th. Yeah, and this is like one of the rare occasions where the all 193 countries of the UN agree on something, right? Yeah. <laughs> which is toilet. Wow, first yeah. time ever. And uh, the legitimacy was very helpful because when you create a movement, then other people take it into their own name. So Prime Minister Modi uh, decided to promise all the Indian a toilet in their home if they don't have one. Okay. So he's building now 110 million toilets. Mm. And, uh, so on World Toilet Day, yeah. they're building toilets? Or at least no, throughout. Toilets. He declared it uh. Uh, because suddenly the media writes so much about each year we reach out to about 3 billion people mm. and without any cost because it's basically storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then the politicians start to realize that they can win votes and become popular if they promise people toilet. And why not, right? So uh, (laughs) now President Xi Jinping in China is also a toilet champion. So Prime Minister Modi and President Xi, two of the biggest country, most population in the world, the leaders are toilet champions. So I think this is the power of storytelling, the power of movement, 
you legitimize a subject that was otherwise called the water agenda. So now I agree. I, I think that's a big part of why I do what I do is I try to tell the story, mm. you know, of um, successful entrepreneurs or people that are doing purposeful things in their life and see where that really gets them. We'll never know the impact of really what happens, but mm. like you said, more toilets, more votes. Um, so that can definitely make a change um, in society and, and for the future. Um, now, is there anything else that you would like to add? You know, you, you've done a lot in your career. Hopefully you live past 80. Hopefully we can keep Jack Sim alive for longer than 80 people. Um, but in 12 years, it's going to be 2030. And the sustainable development goals end in 2030. Do you think these goals are achievable? And do you think you'll live to see the goals achieved? I think the goals are achievable if they change the current model. If they are using the current model, I don't think it's achievable. Because the current model is very bureaucratic. Everybody is doing their own thing. It's fragmented. It relies on donation, which they wanted $12 trillion mm. to solve the SDG. You will never get $12 trillion. Yeah. So why talk about something that can't happen? Um, because you do the MDG, and then after that, you do the SDG, and if you cannot, you do the XDG or right. whatever, and then you will say year X, and then we don't know when. What's the point? The development sector spend $150 billion a year in foreign aid, and not much is happening. So this money is largely inefficient. So $150 billion, and it's basically just not having a big effect. Yeah, it's paying time. salaries of a lot of people right. who is doing very busy things, pushing papers, employing McKinsey to write some 500-page reports of baseline right. study, monitoring, evaluation, pilot projects. How do we galvanize that $150 billion? Oh, you add it all up and you think there is no industry in the world that is more inefficient than the development industry. I think even the former Soviet Union state-owned enterprise would have been more productive than this. <laughs> so what we should do is to stop the charity mentality to think that the poor are useless and stupid. They are not. The poor is the same as me when I was a child. In 1965, when Singapore became independent, mm -hmm. I was just eight years old. And our country has a GDP the same as Kenya. Mm. And it is so poor that we have to receive scholarship from Sri Lanka. They call it the, scholar, uh, the Colombo Scholars. And we hope one day to be as rich as Sri Lanka. And today, we are the third richest per capita in the world. Because? Because we didn't want to accept foreign aid. Right. We want foreign investment. We want people to invest in us, right. unlock our spirit of enterprise and our good work ethics, teach our people some skill, and move up the economic ladder. In, at first, we make clothing, and then we stop making clothing, stop making furniture, mm. stop making cars assembly, and move into pharmaceutical, silicon chips, tourism, and all this, all this new industry with higher and higher value addedness. And this is the way you get your people out of poverty. Right. China came to Singapore 
1978, the Supremo Teng Xiaoping, he saw that Singapore model, he liked it, he went back and in 1986, he implemented it and 30 years later, they got 700 million people out of poverty. Mm. That is the way you end poverty, not right. giving people money. Investing. Yeah, investing in mm. them. And China got out of poverty because the people work hard and they do business. Right. And so you can do it with Africa. Rwanda called themselves the Singapore of Africa. And look at how fast they are growing. So I guess there's a big misconception, at least amongst my group, that if you donate to a nonprofit, if you start a nonprofit, um, what is that doing to, I guess, hold back um, a country's progression? If if you're donating millions of dollars to a nonprofit, which in short term might be helping out people, but in the long term you're saying isn't doing much for the overall impact. So I tell you, you go to the street and you see young people taking drugs and getting drunk mm -hmm. and they're asking you for donation. Mm. And why would they be in the street getting donation? Because somebody is giving it to them. Mm. That's not good. He's, not. he's not a destitute. Of course, if there's a refugee crisis, if there's a disaster, if there's really destitute, you can't help anymore, you give a donation. You still need that. Right. But you can't give a donation in a normal healthy person. Mm -hmm. You know, the refugees are actually entrepreneurs, risk takers, people who take a risk to get out. And if you transform refugees into entrepreneurs, into workers, and allow them to do industry inside your new country, they will be so productive and they will really love to work because I visited Zatari camp. Even when they disallow it, they still run the Champs-Élysées uh, marketplace inside the camp. And a lot of them actually left the camp to do business. So people want to do things themselves. They want to have pride. Don't take it away by giving them donation. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, it's kind of just like this mind-blowing concept. You know, we're we're almost shaped in a way to just, hey, I'm going to go to business school. I want to make a lot of money. But what you're saying is we got it wrong. You know, we, we got to be thinking about our impact before we pass away when yeah. we're 80. Um, so what would you say to the younger generation? You know, Jackie got 20 more years to live. I won't be around. I would probably, I might not ever see you again, man. Mm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, you know, what, what advice would you give to younger generation? I think the younger generations are really great generations. I really love uh, this kind of new citizens of the planet kind of mentality. What we should start to do is to redefine success. Because success is not, if you take away a lot of things from other people, you're successful. That must be a very bad design. Mm. The game design has to be such that a millionaire is one that improves the life of a million people and a billionaire is one that improves the life of a billion people. Mm. Even if you don't have a lot of money, right. you can be a billionaire because we're not measuring according to how many dollars you have anymore. We're measuring according to what 
good and what impact you have created. Mm. For example, Malala, in my definition, would be a billionaire because her message that girls should go to school resonate with a billion people. Yep. And you can do that without money. And you look at the billionaire, what happened to them is that after they become billionaire, they start to give it back. So first you take away from everybody and then you want to give it back. What for? Yeah, <laughs> you might as well start now, today. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. And, and Jack, the last question I'll ask you is, you know, we kind of see you, you know, taking on this issue, at least speaking about it, you know, maybe changing some minds, even mine. Um, this is some leadership. What would you say your definition of a real leader is? A real leader is one that put the mission higher than him. And if you want to solve a problem, you solve the problem. Not become a hero, not to become celebrated. No, that's not important. The mission is higher than you. And if you can invite a lot of people to come together and let them also be the champion for the mission, then a movement will solve the problem and you're just one of the people and not the iconic uh, leader. And that right. is a real leader. Being a piece of the puzzle. Yes. Leading that way. If you mobilize a lot of people, give them all the credit, don't take the credit yourself, right. I think that's a real leader. That's what a real leader is. Yeah. Well, Jack, appreciate your time here. Um, best of luck these next 20 years, man. <laughs> Hope you make it past 80. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. That wraps it up for this episode 23 of the Real Leaders Podcast with Jack Sim. Thanks for tuning in. And folks, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends or family members who may be struggling with finding purpose in their career. And if you didn't know, all of these episodes are streamed live on our Facebook page at Real Leaders Magazine. Go on there and ring the bell to notify yourself when we go live with more Real Leaders like Jack who share what motivates them beyond their career. And if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> Thanks everyone for your ep- Thank you everyone for your time on this episode. And folks, never forget always keep it real.